0: Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In 1987, four childhood friends were reunited after 10 years to investigate the murder of a mentor they all shared. During this time, they unlocked the deep secrets of the past and found themselves exposed to the darkness that surrounded them. Soon it became more than a fight for justice. And instead, it became a fight against the ultimate evil. Six months later, in the winter of 1988, bonded by their knowledge of the dark unknown, they have decided to no longer be the victim. Now they seek out the deep roots of satanic corruption that hides in the shadows of society, all the while trying to mentor a new companion seeking justice for the death of his cousin. Institutionalized is the second story arc in the Chronicles of Darkness first edition story, The Ultimate Evil, set in Bismarck, North Dakota in 1988. Join us in this tale of satanic horror with Wayne, played by Adam, Che, played by Andrew, Alex, played by Mitch, Michael, played by Slavic, and the newcomer, Derek, played by Tillman. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at twin-cities-vtm and on Facebook and Discord at Twin Cities by Night. If you'd like to help support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. You guys are walking down this hallway, and you get to the door on the right where you see it says Mr. McNulty on there, and you can see through the glass that there's someone who's sitting at a desk. He Looks to be probably in his late twenties. He is thinning on top. He has dark hair. You can see the top of his head because he's looking down right now. I had a piece of paper on his desk. He is wearing a button up white shirt that looks like it may have been thrown in the wash with some dark clothes at one point. It looks a little gray. You see he has his sleeves rolled up to about the middle of his forearm on both ends. Not in a measured roll, almost like he just kind of did it to get a to get him up. You see there's dark hair that's on his forearms and on the top of his hands. You see he has a wedding ring on. He has his pocket protector that he has and his dress shirt that has an assortment of pencils and pens. Behind him is like a picture of a kitten hanging off a tree branch, like a big poster. It says, hang in there. It has like bubble letters. See he has like a bunch of different things. It looks like he has a a picture that maybe has families or kids that's facing towards him. You see the back of it. You see there's a typewriter there and scenes on you, go ahead.
1: He doesn't have any students in there right now, right?
0: No. You see that there's like a, two chairs that are like the backs are facing you, but there's no one sitting in them. Alex is going to close the door behind us. Oh, you're walking in. You're not going to knock. You're just going to open the door and walk in. Is that what you're doing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You open up and you guys open the door and walk in and you see him like stand up and he has like a warm smile on his face and you see him like, uh, go ahead, close the door behind you. And he kind of motions a- towards it. Alex will do so. Does the door lock? Oh uh, yeah. You have a lock behind
2: it. Alex will lock it.
0: You see there a moment where he looks at that and he looks at you too, and he kind of just gives you a confused look for a second. He's not sitting down. He's just kind of, you can tell he's waiting for whatever you guys are going
2: to do. How's it going? Good, good, good. Um, and He's like, you don't need to lock the door. You know that, right? Given what we're about to discuss, I think it's best if we're not interrupted on accident by any student popping in for advice. Oh, and you see, it for
0: a moment where there's a realization you could tell he's and he goes and he looks at you, too. and He's like, go ahead, have a seat. And he goes and s- sits back Thank down you. in his chair. And you kind of like, you see him move the papers, whatever. He just puts them aside. You glance at the papers. It looks like a grade report or something like that. It's not really anything that sticks out. You can see the pictures. of You see he has a, a picture. Now you can kind of make out like a picture of him and his wife and like a little boy sitting on a lap. It looks like it was taken like at a J.C. JCPenney's or a Sears or something to that extent. And he looks at you and he's like, so uh, what can I help you with? Yeah, we've got a few questions about Toby. You see, there's a moment where he looks at you and you see kind of like
2: his eyes squint for a second. He's like, so you're not here to speak about your time here at Hughes Junior High? No, no, I'm not. We're uh trying to find Toby. May I ask who you're representing right now? Out of character, it's his grandparents, right? His grandfather, yeah, Toby. Yeah. His grandfather, Otis. We're here on behalf of his grandfather.
0: Okay. Who do you work for?
2: His grandfather.
0: You see him like sit back for a second. He lo- He's looking at you. So I take his grandfather's hired someone to find him. Am I correct in that? Yes. That's why we're here. When he looks at you. He's like, listen, I want to help you. But I need to see some identification before we go forward with this.
1: I'll take out my wallet and kind of just show him. I don't know. Like, is it a badge? That you It's like it a
0: or- PD. It's like identification. You yeah. know, it's not like as fancy as they make it look like in the TV shows. But, you know, you see him just take it for a second. He looks at it and he's like. He like nods and he hands it back to you.
2: I'll hand him a card for the uh, agency. You look at it, he's like, Okay,
0: that's, I'm sorry. You have to understand that there's a lot of precautions you have to take in situations like this. His voice spaces off for a little bit, and you see he kind of like hands you the card back. and He's like, Well, what is it
2: about Toby that you'd like to speak about? Well, uh, what kind of a kid was he? What did he do? Uh, did he have any conversations with you about my, why he might have run away? And you see, there's a moment like a
0: deep exhale. You see him just for a second. He goes and he looks down at his picture of his wife and kid. Alex, I want you to give me a wits and a streetwise, please. Three successes. When he breathes out, breathes in and breathes out and stares at the picture. his breath crosses your purview. And from it, you can smell vapors. And you know right away when you smell them that they're the vapors of vodka. The alcoholic's choice of disguise. They often think they're slick when they drink it. That they can't, that people won't detect that they're drinking it or they're drunk off it. And when you smell that, you look intensely at him while he's looking at the picture of his wife and kids, and you see his bloodshot eyes, and you realize, and you can see along his nose, on the ridge of his nose, capillaries have burst. You can sense a bloated look to his face and bags under his eyes. The bags almost scream out to you of someone who's haunted. It's not just him drinking, it's almost like he's carrying weight on his shoulders. And you can even pick up that he hasn't shaved maybe in a day or two. And when he has, it's been rough. You see little nicks on his neck. You can see ingrown hairs along his jawline. And he looks back at you and he's like, I don't know where to start. If I knew where he was, I honestly would tell his
2: grandfather right now. I I figure you would. I mean, why don't you start with whatever seems most important? He just
0: like looks down at his hands on the desk and he looks back at the picture of his wife and he's like well, I used to work up north at the Dakota Adventist Academy, which I'm sure you're probably aware of if you're here to speak to me. It's up there in Minot, about an hour north here of Bismarck. I worked there for about four or five years after I graduated the University of USND, which is the University of North Dakota you guys know in Fargo. Toby, I don't know, Toby was an interesting kid. You got see like all the boys who go to school there. They're kids whose parents couldn't take care of them or parents who wanted their kids to be raised in kind of a disciplined environment like that, but most of them were kids who were kind of just sent there, like Toby. I'm sure you're well aware of his grandfather's situation, having to raise him at such an older age on his own, trying to live off Social Security and a small retirement check, living in those HUD housing apartments over there. It was hard for him. So from my understanding, people at Grimsrood Elementary told Otis that his son should probably go to the Dakota Adventist Academy. And I think he even got some kind of government assistance along with his food stamps, but government assistance to cover the tuition there. Toby was a very introverted kid at times. And I could tell that Toby was having a hard time at that school. A lot of kids have hard times at that school, though. You have to understand most of these kids come from environments where there's no structure and there's no discipline. And then they're forced into this environment where it's discipline is thrust upon them. And a lot of them have a hard time. And usually the school takes the tactic of, religious caring along with religious discipline in hopes that these kids will either break but hopefully bend and change their ways but sometimes they break and they change their ways and the thing with toby is toby was a stubborn kid but what kid isn't stubborn at that age me and toby connected i don't know what it was some of these kids i connected with too but toby i just felt like toby didn't feel like he he could confide in much people and i think that toby felt comfortable and confiding to me because he knew that i wasn't part of that religious establishment that was there and that I was younger I think that he felt maybe he could rationalize and he could express his really how he felt with me and I was there and I wanted to see him succeed I didn't want to see I don't want to see any of those kids have spend more than a year there I hope that they can somehow be rehabilitated you know while the school looked at it as like a religious tactic they took I looked at it like I could have an influence of counseling and of of some kind of I hate to say it but a secular approach to it it help these kids get better. And I thought I was doing well with Toby. I really thought he was doing good. His grades started going up. He didn't socialize much with kids, but he wasn't like a social person. And then he ran away. Supposedly, he snuck on the back of some food supply truck I got him back to Bismarck. He found He's a really intuitive kid. Very bright. He took an IQ test, and he scored really high. Then I get a call from his grandfather two weeks later. His grandfather had found him, and he insisted that Toby wanted to speak to me. When I tried to talk to Toby, find out what the issue was, Toby wouldn't open up to me, and that worried me. I, d- I didn't know what to do at that point. I, he starts wringing his hands a little bit. He sees like contemplating and he's like measuring in his head. When he looks at you two up and down, and he's like pulls out a drawer on the bottom and he pulls out this flask and he opens it and takes a drink. And he's looking at you two as he closes it and puts it down in there and pushes the drawer close. Like he's sizing you up if you're going to say anything. And then he goes back to speaking. Eventually, a couple months passed. And he was back to normal. Then one day he came into my office and he was panicking. I could tell he'd been crying and he was almost hyperventilating. And I asked him what had happened and it took him a moment to calm down. And he told me that he had been in the school's library. And while digging through some books, he said something fell out of one of the books. You see, he's biting his lip for a second, scraping off some dead skin from the dehydration that his alcoholism brings. And he says he found some pictures of some kids in compromising states. At least that's what I could gather from what he said. And he said he wanted to show me. He wanted to make sure that I saw what he had found. So he insisted I absolutely go to the library with him. So I go back to the library with him. He tries to find this book and he thinks he can't find it. And eventually he finds it and he opens it up and there's no pictures in there. But in my years of dealing with children, I've had a lot of kids lie to me. It's normal at that age. But then there's those moments when you know a kid is absolutely telling you the truth. It almost brings on like a sense of panic to them that no one is believing them. And he insisted to me at that moment that he saw those pictures. He insisted that I do something with it, that I report it. At that time, the headmaster of the school's name was Garrett Dodson. And I went to Garrett Dodson's office. He you see him just for a second. He just like, you see, he's pausing, you know, like he's building up the courage. And I told Garrett Dodson, a student, and I didn't tell him Toby's name, had came to me with concerns. I told him about the pictures that supposedly the student had seen. And I told him that from my intuition, and my instincts that the kid was telling the truth. You know, I've lived in this town my whole life, and the only break that I had from this town was four years when I went to USND in Fargo there. When I went to USND, we'd go to spring break, we went to Mexico once, and I actually went to Chicago with a buddy of mine. I started seeing how the world works. I started interacting with the people outside of this state, with the outside of Bismarck. And I don't know if you've ever dealt with this before, but you ever have a conversation with a grown man and verbally everything was polite? underneath that politeness was a threatening layer that was being transmitted. I was told by Garrett it was probably the wild ramblings of a kid that maybe the kid thought he was telling the truth. But I swear to God in that fucking conversation I had with Garrett, he was telling me subtly to shut the fuck up and don't say a fucking word. He didn't say it though. Let me rephrase that because I cannot, in your official role right now, say that those pictures are even real. Dude, I'm going to be honest with you right now. I can't even say that. Garrett Thought those pictures were real. But I could tell you, though, that Garrett definitely wanted me to keep this in-house. Maybe he was worried about the harm of the reputation the school would have. I mean, the school had just been closed a year prior to that. They say it was because of funding. They ended up getting funding again. But I can tell you what, when I left that room, I did not feel comfortable.
1: Is that why you left?
0: A week later, I put in my resume. And I left Toby there. My own selfish reasons, I left that damn school. Because I was scared. And I found out a month after I left, Toby runs away. Now that boy... I don't know where he's at, but the guilt that I feel knowing that I didn't do anything. I don't know what else I can tell you. I mean, you can ask, but if I, I I swear to the bottom of my heart and on my wife and on my child's life that if I knew where that kid was, I would tell you right now and I would help you go get him. I would hug that kid and I would tell him that everything's going to work out, but the pain and the fear I saw in his face that day, he came to my office. He was not lying to me. And I honestly swear to God, I do not think that he misconstrued something. I think he saw him. And I think the moment that he knew that no one was there to help him, he left again. That's the only thing that I could think can happen. Because I don't want to think about if anything else happened to him. The thing that's even weirder is that a month ago, Garrett Dotson resigned as the head of the school. And now his assistant dean, Keith Galloway, is running the school. And you see there's a moment where he's looking up behind you guys and you just see he puts his head down and you see tears are kind of going down his face as he opened up his drawer again. You see him like fumbling with the flask, trying to get the flask out, but tissues out at the same time. You see him kind of drop the flask for a little bit and you see him like kind of like trying to pick it up. You hear the chair squeak as he does that.
1: You always hit the bottle this hard?
0: And when you say that, you see him sit up for a second and you see him intensely stare at you and he's like, you can go now.
1: I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend. I'm just
0: you can go now.
1: I want to thank you for talking to us, and
0: um, here's my card. You see him take it, and he nods, and he's, uh, he's standing up now looking down at both you guys.
2: Real quick before we go, do you have any papers, any like drawings or notes he may have written? No. All that, if it's still
0: there, would be at the school itself in his file. You don't have access to that? Not anymore. <laughs> I, I never went back to that place after I left. I don't even really talk to anyone there anymore. What's the address? And he goes ahead and he, you see him like get a note, like one of those um, pink message or a hall pass slips that kids are given to go to the bathroom or whatever, go back to class. And you see him write down the address. He's like, it's north. About an hour north at Minoke here. And he just kind of slides the piece of paper over to you.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Find that kid, please. We'll please. do our best. We might be back to talk to you again, though.
0: Yeah. Hey, I'm sorry. And he looks at you, Wayne. Didn't mean to be rude there.
1: No need to apologize, sir. Thank you for talking to us.
0: Mm -hmm. You guys walk out and the door closes behind you.
2: I'll lock the door behind us as we leave.
0: And you can see when you look back behind him, you can kind of see him slumped down, just staring at his hands. You guys walk out of the Hughes Junior High and you see the lady wave to you as you guys walk out. You go back out to the brisk afternoon. Scenes on you
2: guys. I'll give the lady behind the desk a cheerful wave as we leave. She waves back to you.
1: Wayne would like to give her a wave, but he's he's shaken up by,
0: by the story. You guys are staying on the steps. What are you guys doing?
2: Alex is going to keep walking to the car, and while he goes, he's going to take a deep breath. You know, can't exactly blame the guy.
1: Man, I don't even know what to say. You think he told us everything?
2: Nah, probably not. But he gave us enough to at least get started on another leg. How are you feeling right now after this, Wayne?
1: Uh, Wayne feels like really kind of sick to his stomach right now. He feels bad for the guy, too, because the guy seems like a guy who was trying to do the right thing by Toby by bringing it up to the principal or whatever. But he did kind of selfishly, like not really follow through.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's obviously also living with the guilt of what happened. What about you, Alex? How are you feeling?
2: Alex is starting to get a little angry. He's starting to think that more shit was done to kids. Like him, and that's really pissing him off. Let's, let's not necessarily in the same way, but that's
0: okay. Like, so you're thinking, like, you're thinking, I guess. What do you mean by that? Are you think like kids are being harmed, or they might be exposed, or just kids are in not a kid situation.
2: They're in some sort of danger. There's some sort of harm coming to them, and of course, Alex's mind is going back to the shit that happened to him, and he's wondering how prevalent is this satanic bullshit. Is there another cult? Is there, you know, something else going on? Yeah.
0: Next, we'll cut to Che. So, Che, you said you were driving to your grandfather's to check on Brian. Am I correct in that? Yeah. Okay. So, you drive south to the Standing Rock Reservation. You go down Highway 6, and then you get on Highway 21, which then connects to Highway 65. As you're driving down these highways, you're following the tracks that are embedded in the snow, even though the roads are scraped with snow plows. You find if you follow the tracks I've been worn down of people driving before you that's easier for your Jeep to get traction on these roads. You see on the sides. Four wheel drive, baby. Yeah, four-wheel drive. You see on the sides where normally there'd be like prairie grass, it's hills of snow, and you can kind of see like the sun will break through the clouds once in a while and send a sparkle across the frozen crust of the snow. Or occasionally the wind will blow across these plains and carry loose powdered snow across so almost looks like you're traversing through ocean of white at times. Eventually you get to the entrance of Standing Rock Reservation and you notice right away the contrast of the level of economic poverty compared to Bismarck. Now while you there is definitely some in Bismarck, this is different in the fact that this looks to be a unfair facade of a normal town. But unlike towns Or even unlike neighborhoods that are around where you used to work by the Capitol grounds, those old homes that were built in the 50s that are still taken care of, these homes were never taken care of. They never, whomever lived in them or whomever managed them were never given the funds or the money to upkeep them. You can see that the unforgiving wind and elements of the winter has stripped paint. You see that there's no kids outside playing. And you also see the roads aren't as well paved as Bismarck, where you came from. But your jeep still traverses through and eventually you make it to where you are in the area where your cabin's at but your grandfather lives about four miles away and you start driving through the roads and you come upon his home where six months ago you saw green grass a large yard in front and his brick home that was in a rancher style now you see it's covered with snow And you see the road up into the driveway that leads to his house has been plowed. And there's two large snow drifts that are on the side of his driveway. You can see this warm light that's coming through the picture window of his and your grandmother's living room. And it brings back memories in a way of being a kid out there playing. Because unlike a lot of people in the reservation, your grandfather has chosen to live there. Your grandfather, after he came back from the Pacific, where he served as a Marine in World War II, almost fell into the same life of vices that a lot of people in the reservation fall back to but with the strength of your grandmother he actually decided to go to school and he got a degree in something that was kind of at the time a growing movement and that was psychology in the 50s but he decided to take a new approach to it he decided decided to take a an approach that he learned while going to school but one that mixed the traditions of the Lakota people And he actually decided to have a home built. Now, if he would have left to go to a bigger city in a different state, he could have probably started a practice and made a good amount of money doing it. But he decided to stay in the area. And he does something that's even more odd in the fact that not only does he see Native Americans and helps them out, he also sees a lot of non-natives from Bismarck and other regions. That's your grandfather has built kind of a networked approach to people he knows you guys saw that when you had needed horses in the first story arc and he was able to call up a man who had it and as you drive up in your jeep you see his pickup truck your grandfather's is in the driveway you know your mom your excuse me your grandmother's little smaller kind of single person truck is probably in the garage because she doesn't like to leave it outside what are you going to do when you pull up there
3: i don't know just get out and uh see if anyone comes out to greet me
0: as you go walking along the sidewalk which has salt on it and you kind of go to the front door before you even knock on it the door opens up and you see your grandfather standing there he has cowboy boots on some wranglers he has a tucked in kind of like plaid cowboy shirt or a flannel shirt you kind of like see wayne wearing sometimes you see he has like this corduroy jacket but it's almost like one of those like western jackets that people wear over sometimes you know it has like the it's brown but it has like a leather patch on the elbows but it has kind of like that western collar mixture between like a Western jacket and a suit jacket. Definitely not something you'd wear outside for the elements, but something you'd wear on the inside of your home just for comfort. You see he has his hair like kind of like in a ponytail back and he looks at you and you see it's gray on the temples, but still very thick and black on top. And he smiles when he sees like, hey, come on in. And he opens the door. He's like, get out of that damn cold. And he closes the door behind you, step into his living room, which is hardwood floor. You see that there's a carpet that's in the middle of the floor patterns of the lakota people and you see there's a really nice like circular oak coffee kind of table that has like the random patterns out as if it was cut from straight from wood see it has leather furniture a leather couch and a love seat and two leather chairs that kind of are, are like in a horseshoe shape around this table you see there's a fireplace looks like it was laid by hand brick and there's a fire going on in it right now you can smell the warm pleasant smell of burning wood You he has some bookshelves in there but not too much and he's like, "Hey, have a seat." And he sits in the one of the love seats, and you can hear the leather kind of like crunch underneath it while he sits on there. He doesn't have a TV. He doesn't like TV too much. He likes to read. He motion for you to sit down on the couch that's kind of like next to the love seat in a way, so you guys can be close when talking. Okay. What's up, young man? You're checking on Brian, I assume, huh?
3: I'm just nod at him.
0: He's a he's asleep back there. Probably gonna be sleeping for a while, I assume. He nods towards the guest room that you know it used to be your room actually, but they made it a guest room once you. Yeah. Moved out. That kid's seen some shit, son. And you knows that sometimes he'll call you son. And he's like, you know what? Let's go have a talk. You know when he says, let's have a talk, that means he'll have you go in his office. How do you feel about that when your grandfather like will try to talk to you like from a counselor perspective sometimes? Because you had to deal with that while growing up with them often.
3: Um, you know, maybe once upon a time it would have intimidated him, but not anymore.
0: Awesome. So he's like, Let's go, let's go have a talk. And he kind of like gets up. You can hear the the love seat, the leather kind of like creak a little bit when he stands up and he walks like to in this living room you know there's like a kitchen on the opposite side but there's like a hallway that splits the two kind of and the room that brian is staying in the room that your grandparents sleep in and there's another guest room on that end but on the opposite is where his office is at where he like takes you know business there's actually even a door that leads to the from his office to the backyard if you ever wanted just you know people to come in that way instead of going through his house and he motions you to follow him, and he walks along the floor. You can hear the clicking of his boots as he walks along, and he opens up the door. And you see his office in there, and you see this large, dark wood desk that has a lamp on there, this hanging lamp, or this lamp that curves kind of, it's like brass. So he has a yeah. typewriter there. And you see behind him are these bookshelves full of, like, these journals and books and, and just, like, the dealing with different subjects all the way from, like, native beliefs of different cultures across the globe to journals and medical books dealing with psychology and counseling. And you see that on top of the bookshelves, there's actually like awards that he received from the Marines. And you see that there's like a distinguished cross award that he has there. And you see, there's also like a love seat. That's kind of like in front of the desk on the opposite side of where he would sit. You see on the wall next to the door that you came in, there's a picture of the Iwo Jima scene where Marines are like, you know, kind of like pushing up the flag on there. you see you see on the opposite there's like a bunch of lakota like beaded uh intricate designs like of headdress gear and like clothing and different stuff like that that's on the wall it's like almost like framed in a respectable manner because he wants to treat it delicately and you see it's on the opposite wall then if you were to sit in the love seat and face him on your right there's a door that leads out to the backyard and there's a picture window that is there and you look out into that backyard And you're reminded of when you had the anipi, or otherwise known as the Sweat Lodge, but that's what the Lakota call it, is the anipi, where you all were hit with that vision and kind of almost spoken to by Christina Eagle. But then you see your grandfather, he comes and sits behind the desk and the chair creak when he sits back there and he takes off his jacket and he just kind of like tosses it. (laughs) You know, there's like, he tosses it on this other like chair that like a handmade chair that's in the corner for design. He just tosses it over there. And he turns and looks at you. And there's a moment where he's just sizing you up. And then he does this often where he just looks at you. And you guys don't really speak, you know? And he's like, Brian's seen some shit.
3: Lots of people have.
0: Yeah, you're right. People deal with it in different ways.
3: Some fall apart.
0: Yeah, you're right. He is. He is. You know when that started? I can guess. Mm. Tell me what you think of it when it started.
3: Last time I was out here, really?
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. After the neepy, huh? Yeah. Yeah.
3: Considering what he was saying.
0: You know, I've been speaking to your friend, Wayne.
3: Yeah, you said that earlier.
0: Yeah. And he looks out the window and looks back at you and he's like, people handle things? You got something to say? Oh, you know I do.
3: Come on, talk to me.
0: Well, I like this sprout we're going about how people deal with things. I never fully got the picture of what you guys saw in that an I pieced together what you each said you saw. I gave some advice. You guys left that next day. I got you the horses. You went and did your thing. Your friends did their thing. Brian did his thing. What did you see in there? See where? And then Neepy. what did it show you? My
3: dad. How much of a piece of shit he is.
0: We all handled things differently, right? What you told me today made me think that you and Brian might have seen the same thing at one point. Am I wrong in that?
3: I don't know. Because I can't speak for what he saw.
0: He's saying he saw his sister. That she spoke to him. And she spoke to you. And your friends. Is that true?
3: So Chael looked like visibly uncomfortable at this. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily because of all of that, but. Also, because it seems to because of that dream, you know,
0: yeah, it, that's still oh, kind of on his mind. That yeah. just happened this morning. Yeah. Yep. It did. So he's it.
3: he can't help but think of that and just get uncomfortable, hmm. you know, so yeah. it's something that like, I don't think he'd be able to even hide that.
0: OK, he looks at you for a second. You see his frowl, like, you know what I mean? Squint and he looks at you, he nods. You know, your friend Wayne, it's kind of cool what he's doing. I think he's trying to become a shaman of sorts, you know, that that word shaman is such a fucking loaded word, too. You see him look at you. There's a bunch of people on the res walking around here trying to throw that word around like there's some shaman. You see him look. But the moment you ask them to interpret what someone's trying to tell them, they just kind of look at you blankly. I'm going to tell you what I think. I know sometimes you like to hear it. Sometimes you don't. I hope you listen. (laughs)
3: That's (laughs) the truth.
0: I think Brian saw something that rocked his foundation. And I think Brian is having a hard time dealing with it because he's falling apart. But I also think that you have seen something that rocked your foundation. And I also think your friend Wayne did. And to be honest with you, Chayton, I think you all saw the same thing because it took me and Brian to pull all four of you out of that. Anipi, you guys did not want to come out of that. You were fighting to stay in there. And the way your friend Alex reacted and the way everyone reacted, whatever. I know that morning that I picked you up and we picked you up that next morning, the way that you guys looked, I saw those same looks on those islands that I was hopping when i was a 19 year old kid i saw him on my friend's face and i probably had him on my face too at the same time and it fucks you up i came back from the war and i fell into the res life and your grandmother she pulled me out of it but the one thing that led to me being pulled out of it was an anipi of my own there's a story about our family che there's a story that there is a great great uncle of ours or maybe a great great uncle all i know is he was a brother of someone who eventually spurned my grandfather and my father and whatever and from what the story is said was he was an interpreter at fort snelling and fort snelling isn't in, was in minnesota over there what's known now is i think the minneapolis st paul area around there and he was an interpreter for the for the military there and at those time the indian wars were going on they're actually starting to settle down to be honest with you the lakota were getting on onto reservations Treaties and he does like a quotation with his hands were being signed, and his days were wrapping up. But to be honest with you, he'd been anglicized. Do you know what anglicized is, Trey? Of course, I do. He was anglicized. He took a name, a European name of Aaron. Matter of fact, his last name was Whiteside, and that name was probably taken because of how he interacted with whites. But he was an interpreter for him, and at the time. You see him for a second when he gets going, you see he's like adjusting himself, and you see, you're like, oh go, here he goes, you know. <laughs> like <laughs> he's like, uh, he's like, listen, he's like, at this time, the little pockets of rebellion were occurring. And oftentimes they would send Aaron, and who I believe was my great-great-grandfather, who also spoke English and was an interpreter, had them go along to interpret. There was brutal massacres that were going on at a couple cottages where whites were given land to attend to. A lot of these whites were from the Norwegian area, the Norway. They're Norwegian or Swedish or from that area of the world. And the story goes that my great-great grandfather, and this Aaron Whitesides, went with some cavalry members, about six of them, to look into a massacre that was happening in an area. And they came upon a cottage at a farm where they found a native, a Lakota, they believed, but not a Lakota of any repute, who was dancing in the middle of the sun with the skin of one of the settlers draped over him howling like a madman and the calvary members the six of them and my great great grandfather and my great great uncle went down there to stop the man and they were confronted by three of them and the story goes is that when they shot at these three that they did not go down like normal people but eventually they were able to kill two of them but one fled and Aaron followed my great great grandfather insisted That he doesn't, he wouldn't go follow. He was afraid for him. And Aaron told him, as the story goes, that I need to make my mark on my own in my life, that he'd been serving too many people and he wanted to be remembered for doing something right. All the Calvary men had been butchered in this fight. And it was only my great great grandfather, Aaron, who were left. So when Aaron went to go follow this man, it was on my great great grandfather to come back and tell the tale. So you can imagine if this story is true, what my great great grandfather. Saw changed him, right? Damaged him. There's some school of thoughts, and what I went to school for in psychology, who believe that if something traumatic enough happens to a man or a woman, that the very essence of that can embed itself in their DNA, and thus be passed on to their children. Less in the Bible, the the curse of your father's father will lie with you. I always thought that story was bullshit until I did my first Nipi. I was drunk when I went in, and I saw everything. And there's a moment of silence when he said, "I saw everything." You can hear this ticking from this clock where he just stares at you for a second. And when I left that in Nipi, I knew I could control what I changed to. And at that moment, I decided I was going to take what I witnessed and I was going to become what you see before you know. So if I was to say anything to you right now, Chayton, and you could say this to your friends, I'm going to tell your friend Wayne the same thing, that Brian and all of you need to decide at this moment what you will change to. Because if you do not, what you witness will change you into what it wants you to be brian what he's going through right now is the case in point do you understand what i'm telling you chayton i think so and just know i'm here for you whenever you need to talk i was going to give brian as a project to your friend wayne i thought hey trial by fire you want to become a counselor you want to help people help this guy i mean i'll be watching i'll be guiding him what do you think about that do you think your friend wayne has it in him to help out brian
3: Jay thinks about that for a little bit before he says anything he uh, kind of hangs his head down a little bit and seems thoughtful i think maybe just they both have to want it you know
0: yeah for sure
3: you can't help someone who doesn't want to help
0: himself exactly exactly chayton you see, listen i am listening <laughs> <laughs> see that's all the same enough of this serious talk but just know I'm, my doors are always open for you and your friends all right but you got oh i the- know
3: i'll make sure they know too
0: the world's a strange strange place jayton it's a str- strange place and we'll end it at that so thank you everyone for watching uh thank you for my friends for playing but i'm gonna talk to my friends without all you motherfuckers listening so
4: peace out bitches oh
0: hello again folks i'd like to tell you about the facebook group
4: we run called white wolf and onyx path rpgs gameplay and media to see you there.